Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. The Constitution and its amendments are the foundation of our democracy and the center point of so many controversies in American politics. We decided to take these important amendments one by one and go back to basics. If freedom of speech and the right to bear arms are enshrined as fundamental values, we want to understand them on a deeper historical level. We put together this series on the amendments to do just that. After ratifying the Constitution in 1788, Many delegates thought amending it with a Bill of Rights was unnecessary and would even be harmful. Many argued that the federal government, through the Constitution, had been granted no power to violate the rights of the people. The addition of a Bill of Rights might imply the federal government did have some power, and any list of restrictions would always be incomplete and therefore threaten those rights not included. The Tenth Amendment was included to make sure future generations understood that the inclusion of a Bill of Rights does not change the federal government's limited power. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. Under the Tenth Amendment, the federal government should have no power except those specifically listed or given by the people. But in the last two centuries, the federal government has been given, or perhaps taken, power deemed necessary to protect the people's rights. 
Protections like child labor laws, civil rights, minimum wage, and the Affordable Care Act. In a country that grows more and more divisive, people continue to question how much power the federal government should really have, and if we've already gone too far. Now, more than ever, it is important to know and understand our rights. We as a nation cannot move forward unless we understand our past. This is Constitutional Primers. I shall ask Congress for the one remaining instrument, broad executive power. Directing the use of troops under federal authority to aid in the execution of federal law at Little Rock, Arkansas. The Homeland Security Act of 2002 takes the next critical steps in defending our country. We are going to have marriage equality, not just here in California, but hopefully throughout this country. I am here today with political science professor, podcast host, and 10th Amendment enthusiast, I hope, Michael Baranowski. Mike, thanks for being with me. Absolutely. My pleasure, Beth. So one thing that I think is important to start with as we continue our series on the Constitution is a reminder that the original Constitution did not have a Bill of Rights, and that wasn't an oversight. This was a heated debate among the framers because many of the framers were trying so hard to avoid the kind of distant, intrusive government that they saw from Great Britain, that they thought making a list of rights would be a dangerous exercise, that if we list some rights, we're we're not going to list all of them, and then are we going to have the government starting to intrude on those rights? And we only have a Bill of Rights because it was kind of a compromise position to get the Constitution ratified. States like Virginia and Massachusetts really wanted to see rights enumerated. So the Ninth and the Tenth Amendments, and the Tenth Amendment is where we're going to focus our time today, were intended to address the concern that the Bill of Rights was going to expand power instead of restrict it, which I think is kind of an interesting framing, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. I I totally agree with that. You know, and and to me, it's I think you did a really great summary there, and that concern that by listed that of expanding government power. And so sort of the Ninth and Tenth Amendments were sort of a counter reaction to that in a way. So the Tenth Amendment specifically says, don't infer powers in the national government that weren't explicitly granted in the Constitution. That really the first question, anytime you're saying, can the government do this? The question isn't, does it violate someone's right if the government does it? It's, does the government explicitly have this power in the Constitution? And so the Supreme Court has previously said the Tenth Amendment is just a truism. It doesn't create anything new. It doesn't render anything unconstitutional that would otherwise be constitutional or vice versa. It's just reminding us, hey, the federal government's powers are restricted to what's expressly in the Constitution. But it hasn't always been interpreted that way. And Mike, I'm just wondering, as we kind of dive into this conversation, how much does the Tenth Amendment come up for you in your political studies and analysis? It's something certainly that I talk about when I teach. And and, uh, it comes up a certain amount because even though... I think you can look at it as a, a truism or a tautology, as you know, as the court is, has said. There have been instances in which uh, I think you could argue that the Supreme Court has sort of tried to give the Tenth Amendment 
at least a certain amount of uh, maybe somewhat substantive meaning. You know, um, there have been a number of a number of cases. Well, not, not not a large number, but you know, a certain number of cases where the court has basically said that certain things that Congress has tried to do are uh, impermissibly coercive, and they've made sort of reference to the Tenth Amendment there. And so, I, I don't know that. I don't know that I'd agree that it's entirely without any sort of, uh, you know, substance. Certain courts have, at least seems to me, tried to put a, a certain amount of substance into it. And the Tenth Amendment, when we talk about whether it has teeth or not, has really only been applied to say that the federal government is being coercive as to states. It hasn't been invoked to protect individual citizens against the exercise of federal power. Right. And when we think of it as a safeguard as to the states, one could argue, and I might argue, <laughs> that we have deviated so far from the enumerated responsibilities of federal government in the Constitution that the Tenth Amendment comes back around as sort of a, an important reminder and an important tool to try to restore some of the original balance between federal and state power. And that balance really changed with the New Deal. Mike, can you talk a little bit about the New Deal and, and the impact that you think it had on our understanding of the Tenth Amendment and federalism overall? Yeah, absolutely. And I would actually argue that while we tend to focus a lot on the Tenth Amendment when we're looking at federalism, I would say that the real issue here isn't so much the Tenth Amendment, but the Commerce Clause in Article One, Section Eight, and that, and that really, when we look at this expansion in 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 federal power, you know, something. And I think you're absolutely right in arguing that it's way out of line with what the framers envisioned. That that's due almost entirely to the courts changing interpretation of of the commerce power. I mean, I think probably one of the greatest examples of this kind of the height of the height of this and I think you could argue the the height of ridiculousness is uh, Wickard versus Filburn and this is like in 1941 I believe where essentially the argument was that if you're a if you're a farmer growing wheat for your own personal use not selling it or anything like that 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 somehow had enough of an effect indirectly on interstate commerce that Congress could regulate that, which now, now the court has stepped away from that, but that kind of represents the height of, you know, this is after the FDR justices were appointed to the court and kind of in full swing and that sort of thing. And, and to me, when we look at that mismatch between, you know, the, the overreaching power of the federal government compared to the states, I think really the Commerce Clause is what's changed so dramatically in interpretation. I think that's exactly right. And I think this is a hard one because it would be foolish to argue that commerce itself hasn't changed. So, I mean, the framers yeah. could not imagine the world that we live in now. Yeah. And so so I think this is a tough one in terms of policy. But I think textually, it's just it's silly to argue that where we are is where we were headed when the framers put the Constitution together in terms of balance between state and federal power. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally agree. That was an entirely different world. And so to me, it gets to the point of, well, what were the framers trying to do? And to me, they were trying to set up a system in which the, the power of the federal government is fairly limited. And based on what they understood about commerce at that time, 
this made sense and the interstate commerce power wouldn't infringe too much on state rights. But clearly, that's changed dramatically. And so to me, the answer to this is not to try to develop some tortured interpretation of the Constitution, but to use the amendment process that the framers intended us to use to change the document when times change. But that almost seems to be, you know, kind of a non-starter given how difficult it is. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting because it it is difficult and it should be difficult, right? We shouldn't be changing the Constitution constantly. But I do think that we are in need of clarity because the Tenth Amendment, and and I think the, the problem around the Tenth Amendment, it almost assumes that there is a really clear line between what belongs to the federal government and what belongs to state governments. Right. And that line is so blurred. And I think a good example of this is one of the cases in which the court kind of renewed its interest in the Tenth Amendment in the 1990s to restore a sense of federalism. In New York versus the United States, the court held that the Tenth Amendment prohibited Congress from enacting a comprehensive plan for the disposal of radioactive waste that required states to assume responsibility for disposing that waste within their borders. And that, to me, is an interesting example because the whole concept of radioactive waste and our entire understanding of how waste disposal impacts the country and and indeed impacts interstate commerce has changed so dramatically since these documents were written. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that's one of the arguments that you'll hear on the left for for saying that, well, we need to move away from this kind of, and it's good that we actually have less of a distinction because there were so many issues that the framers couldn't have envisioned that are actually, that can't be limited or are difficult to limit to kind of within state boundaries. And, and probably the obvious thing that comes up is environmental protection sort of things and, and, and that sort of thing. And I think to an extent, it's hard to argue that that's, that that's wrong. I think the left is aided in that argument by some of the unfortunate ways in which states' rights arguments have been advanced. Because, sadly, often state rights arguments, especially around the Tenth Amendment, have been advanced in opposition to federal measures to combat the impact of racism and to combat structural racism. And so I think people on the right, you know, my perspective, have done a very poor job of articulating the value of states in a modern world. And so I wanted to share this quote from Robert Shapiro at Emory School of Law about federalism and get your take on it, Mike. He says, the good news is that federalism is alive and well in the United States today. States remain vital centers of policy debate and experimentation. State and federal power intersects and overlaps in many ways that promote the well-being of the people. The interplay of state and federal decisions leading to the Supreme Court's declaring a federal constitutional right to same-sex marriage offers one recent example of federalism at work. Federal and state courts and legislators engaged in a dialogue that eventually resulted in the recognition of a national right. However, this federalism does not rely on outdated notions of exclusive areas of state sovereignty. This healthy federalism flourishes in spite of, not because of, the Supreme Court's efforts to demarcate enclaves of state power immune from national regulation. For the moment, these exclusive state domains remain relatively small, offering little resistance to the exercise of enumerated federal powers. Should the court expand these enclaves, however, current Tenth Amendment doctrine would become a more significant and pernicious force. I guess the first thing that occurs to me in thinking about that is 
wow, that sounds messy. And I think that's that's exactly the problem that a lot of people have with this sort of approach, right? Is that a lot of people like the idea of just, and, and maybe this is even more on my side on the left, a lot of people like the idea of there being one big solution that applies to everyone and this whole idea and you, you mentioned he mentions the the uh the gay marriage thing you know and and obviously it was the interplay of a lot of states doing things and then that pressure kind of building and so forth resulting in you know the court sort of declaring not sort of the claim but declaring that there is in fact a right that's a really messy process and i think people aren't really crazy, don't have necessarily the patience for that kind of a, a messy process to play out, which is why I think it can be frustrating for so many people. I think that's right. And I also think that that's kind of what the founders intended. Yeah. That it is a, a little bit of a messy relationship between states and the federal government, despite the fact that you have these enumerated powers. The fact that we had a debate about the necessity of a Bill of Rights shows that it was meant to be intention all the time. And I think the three branches of government are the same way, that that we should always be in a little bit of tension because where there's clarity, it's easy for authoritarianism to sneak in. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos 
It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Another thing I wanted to mention, this goes to something you you said uh, a little bit ago, and that you talked about uh, some conservatives, some folks on the right, you know, kind of using federalism in a unfortunate way, I guess, in, you know, in terms of, of race issues. And it seems to me that this, though, in a way is a bipartisan thing, is that too many people on both sides sort of start from their preferred policy outcome, and then they interpret either a statute or the Constitution in a way that they can reach that outcome. And, you know, I I hate that sort of thing. I mean, to me, the Constitution is about standard processes, and, and it's better for democracy if we agree on a set understanding and don't just sort of pervert these to get our short-term policy games. And, you know, liberals do this. On my side, we do the same thing. You know, we love the fact that California can pass all sorts of really liberal laws, like stronger auto emission standards, for instance. But when it comes to something like reproductive rights, you know, we we don't want, say, Alabama to do their own thing, for instance. So it, it definitely cuts both ways. And I think it's because people tend to, like I said, start with their preferred policy outcome and, and not really care so much about the process. And I think that's a really bad thing. And that is so true in the federalism debate. Like we love federalism when it supports our policy positions. Yeah. And and so I think the modern applications of the 10th Amendment are fascinating in that regard because there are two right now that are really in the public consciousness, even though we don't talk about them as 10th Amendment issues. But you have interest in the legalization of marijuana. What are states' rights vis-a-vis the federal government around drug legalization? And we do have bipartisan efforts to pass laws on this through a specific reference to the 10th Amendment. So Cory Gardner, Republican from Colorado, and Elizabeth Warren, obviously the Democrat from Massachusetts, have co-sponsored strengthening the 10th Amendment through entrusting states, the States Act, designed to remove federal controls from states that legalize marijuana. Right now, if, if you are in a state where marijuana is legal, You have opened a host of economic opportunity for sellers of marijuana and also a nightmare in terms of how they can do their banking and their record keeping and their payment of federal income taxes and whether they are violating federal law by their very existence. 
this really illustrates a point you made earlier that that kind of intermingling of federal and state laws. I mean, we have this extensive, you know, federally protected banking system that really wasn't a thing back, you know, back at back in the day. And that just creates all kinds of problems when you have these sort of overlapping and contradictory laws, which makes it so difficult for cannabis growers and, and businesses in states where it's legal to actually access, for instance, the banking system. And I think the idea of a federally regulated banking system would be so abhorrent to the people who founded this country, but they couldn't have imagined that the next step, it's not really about in the United States, should states or the federal government be overseeing finance and financial services? It's more like, how do we participate in a global financial system, yeah, right? Yeah. And and so I think that's where a lot of tension is around what federalism means. As we have increasingly shrunk the world, it's, it's not interstate commerce anymore. It's global yeah. commerce. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And so, you know, it, there are obviously a lot of folks who essentially treat the Constitution as the holy writ and that, well, you know, we it's important, it's it's critical that we never deviate from the intent of the framers. And I would argue that actually that that goes against the intent of the framers themselves. They were they were smart guys and they understood that things change. And so therefore we need to change along along with them. And yet it seems that we don't really, I mean, that's hard work to do. You know, it, it's certainly hard to, to amend the Constitution, but there's a process there for a reason. And I think, you know, in, in terms of the federalism debate, you can make a really good case that because the economy has changed so much that we maybe need to look to our Constitution and say, well, has it kept track with this? And would it be better to actually amend the document as opposed to sort of engaging in some sort of tortured understanding of what interstate commerce means so that we can do all these other things that we want to do? I think the really difficult part about that is that the wisdom in our Constitution is how flexible it is in many ways. And I don't know how you write an amendment that gets to the question of interstate commerce that provides some some additional clarity, but also needed flexibility, given that we can't imagine what yeah. the economy will be like, yeah. you know, 50, 100 years from now. It's definitely tough, especially, and, and, and this is where, well, I think in a lot of cases, it's pretty clear that Congress has used its it ostensibly commerce power to regulate things that they that weren't really primarily about commerce. It's just kind of using a way to sneak in social and other kind of legislation. And in some instances, we might think that's a really good thing, like in an issue of, you know, civil rights legislation and so forth. But, you know, and, and back in the day, a number of conservatives opposed that, not because they were against civil rights, but because they felt it was a perversion of the framers' intent. And how do you write a law that gives Congress certain powers to, you know, legislate on social issues, but not through the commerce power. And that that becomes, as you point out, you know, really kind of a tricky thing to do. And I think that's where it's interesting that the Tenth Amendment has principally been about states instead of individuals, because it seems to me that as you're analyzing what power the, the federal government has 
over things like social issues, you almost have to reach the individual right at some point. That's why the court has been so instrumental, right? That's where Roe versus Wade comes from. The, The court is analyzing that, I think, more as an intrusion into individual right than into state rights. Yeah. And I think this comes up around healthcare too, because one of the arguments advanced in some of the many lawsuits over the Affordable Care Act is that the Affordable Care Act itself violates the Tenth Amendment, that this is an improper intrusion of the government over states. But interestingly, that typically comes up around the individual mandate. So there's that tension again. Of course, part of Obamacare was overturned by the court, not not the not the mandate part, but the the part that I think a lot of folks could argue is actually the most effective part of Obamacare, and that's the uh, Medicaid expansion. Because as as listeners probably would would remember, at least initially, states were forced to buy in to to you know accept the Medicaid expansion at the risk of losing all of their Medicaid funds. And uh, the the Obama administration said, well, we you know we have the right to do that, to withdraw that money. And that's where, you know, uh, Roberts writing for the court said, um, no, you don't actually. That would be uh, overly, uh, overly coercive. Mm-hmm. I wanted to mention this like really obscure, but I think fascinating aspect of 10th Amendment law. It has come up in Supreme Court jurisprudence on treaties and criminal law. (laughs) And there is a case, Bond versus the United States, which The Atlantic described as the second installment of the soap opera of Carol Ann Bond. So Carol Ann Bond's best friend got pregnant with a child fathered by Carol Ann's husband. And when she found out, Carol Ann, who was a trained lab technician, created poisons that she smeared on her best friend's doorknobs and car doors. And one time she gave the friend a a really nasty burn on her thumb. She put them on the mailbox. And that is where things got messy for Carol Ann in terms of federal prosecution. Because her mailbox, of course, is protected as part of the postal system. And postal inspectors posted security cameras and caught her on video. And federal prosecutors said this was a very serious and scary case because she had stolen four pounds of potassium dichromate from her workplace. So they charged her with theft of the mail and a violation of the Chemical Weapons Convention Implementation Act of 1998. Wow. So Chief Justice Roberts, as is his way avoided the Tenth Amendment question here and said the government just has overreached in terms of what this statute is supposed to cover. He wrote, they are trying to sweep in everything from the detergent under the kitchen sink to the stain remover in the laundry room, making it a federal offense to poison goldfish. I love it when the Supreme Court justices write that way. (laughs) And he was joined by the majority of the court. But interestingly, Scalia, Thomas, and Alito would have held the prosecution unconstitutional because they said that the federal government can make treaties But states have to implement those treaties, that the treaty power is limited to the agreements and matters of legitimate international concern. But something like this could not be brought into that treaty because it would be the province of the state. And if you just think about the Trump administration and everything that has unfolded over the last two years and the fact that we have an increasingly conservative Supreme Court, you could see a court willing to dial this pretty far in the direction of limiting federal power. 
Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right on that, though. I, I would like to think that uh, 
Chief Justice Roberts would sort of still command a, uh, a majority on the court for what I see as a much more sensible uh, sensible interpretation of that. I think, you know, that at the time that the court's three most conservative members sort of took a something of an extremist view on that. But of course, you know, with the, the court membership changing and a lot of uh, elderly justices that you're right, that that certainly that certainly could change. But I think just Chief Justice Roberts got it absolutely right on this and that the view of of, of, of Alito, for instance, was Justin Thomas was just kind of too far out there still, even now for a majority of the justices. I hope that's right. And I hope that we continue. I mean, so Roberts, I think, is an interesting and and good justice because he is willing to live in that messiness. Yeah, that's a messy interpretation. It's saying, look, we're not going to get to the constitutionality, whether federal prosecutors could ostensibly bring this case. We're saying in this case, that's an overreach. Yeah. And I think that just kind of gets back to my overall take on the Tenth Amendment, which is it is a mess and it is supposed to be a mess because we need to be able to bring judgment to every issue. Now, the one thing I want to talk about before we wrap up, Mike, and get your take on, that gives an awful lot of power to the Supreme Court. Yeah. And I think that is part of the problem. And I think both left and right would in some ways, or at least on certain facts, agree that the power of the Supreme Court is a problem. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. I think you, you know you're absolutely right on that, and and that's that's of course the problem with having this very flexible document, right? Is that well, that means it has to be interpreted, and then you have the court these these folks with with lifetime, you know, with lifetime tenure essentially, who are only very indirectly democratically responsible, and and that's a that's a major concern for me. That's for sure. Is there anything else that you think the average person should know about the Tenth Amendment that they might not today that we haven't touched on? I guess one thing I'd point out more just generally about federalism is one of the great things about it is, is a number of you know academics and commentators that have mentioned is that it allows for state level experimentation that you really wouldn't have as much of any unitary system. And so there have been plenty of instances of certain states trying out a policy and other states looking at it and saying, hey, that worked really well from them and we're going to go ahead and adopt that ourselves, you know, and that the, the sayings often like 50 little laboratories of democracy, essentially. And that's a, I think that's an incredibly valuable thing, both in the positive sense and also in the negative sense where a state can try something and say, okay, wow, we, we, we don't want to do that. You know, I'm thinking maybe for instance, like uh, of Kansas, which recently a few years ago did this incredibly huge slashing of, of taxes and everything just kind of cratered and a lot of other you know, a sense of kind of conservative states even said, well, you know, that probably was going a little bit too far. And that's that's the kind of ability to experiment that federalism gives you that I think is a real a real strong, positive feature of our system. I completely agree with that. And there are two things that I would add in articulating the benefit of states. One is that I do think the geography of the United States is such that different states have different concerns. I yeah. think it is entirely appropriate for California to have more stringent auto emission standards when they're dealing with just lots more cars than the rest of the country can imagine. And learning what we can learn in the process of California meeting a more urgent need gets back to that laboratory idea that you just articulated so well. And the other thing I would say, and I think this has been illustrated more effectively through 
entertainment than anywhere else, is that states provide an important check on the power of the executive in particular. You know, I love the show Designated Survivor, and it often illustrates how important it is for a governor to go toe-to-toe with the president. Mm-hmm. No matter who you think is right in that dynamic, it is important that there that there are these 50 mini executives to kind of hash those issues out. And I think we're seeing that more from state attorneys general yeah. as well in terms of the Trump presidency and whomever side you're on in any given conflict. That tension, I think, is really essential to preserving our very fragile democracy. Yeah, that, that's a super point. I'm glad you brought that up because even though, I mean, now, of course, we're focusing on all the state state attorneys, attorneys general who are suing the Trump administration. You can go back into the Obama administration now. The states were different, but there were still the lawsuits. And I think that's incredibly important because states are about the only actors who have sort of the, uh, the resources and the ability to kind of put some of these challenges together. And without that, you know, that that could it lend, you know, lead to way too much executive authority. Absolutely. Yeah, we are intended to irritate one another constantly. That yes. <laughs> harassment is baked into our system, and I think we should value it more. You know, I, I, we are, we are all so exhausted with our political infighting, and I think that that's appropriate because so much of our political infighting now is not about real policy. But when it comes to real policy, we have to value the fact that there are all of these different sources that can bubble up to say, wait a second. Is this where we want to be? And whether you're on left or right generally, you're going to need that at some point. The system was designed to frustrate people who want to make big changes quickly. And, you know, the framers saw that not as a bug, but a feature. And I I tend to agree with them. I do, too. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for joining me to talk about the Tenth Amendment. I hope this was valuable to everyone. Thank you for being with us for this constitutional series. Part of what we love about our audience and, Mike, part of what I know you love about the Politics Guys audience is that you all are here for what feels like the minutia and is actually the infrastructure of our country. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Special thanks to Elise Knapp for narrating these special intros and to Dylan Garvin and Studio D podcast production for music and sound design. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at PantsuitPoliticsShow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 